I'm Dr. Michelle Thaller, and this is Orbital Path, a show from PRX about the cosmos and our place in it. If I were to take a telescope out into my backyard, well, for one thing, I don't have a very good horizon. I live in the woods, and I live pretty close to a city, so there's lots of lights in the sky. So the only things I would be able to see are pretty run-of-the-mill, bright stars and planets. It amazes me how much the sky changes as you move to more and more remote locations. I've been on top of mountains in Chile, where there was no light around, and the sky looked like something from another planet. If you want to see the most dramatic, the most rare objects in the sky, you need to go to some pretty extreme places. And there is nowhere on Earth more extreme or more remote than Antarctica. In 2003, I was invited as a a visiting astronomer to go to this this very unique high-altitude place called Dome C, run by the French and Italian communities. That's Anna Moore. She's a research scientist and instrument designer in experimental astrophysics at Caltech. Now, there are different kinds of astronomers. Some astronomers take the data from telescopes and they, they make discoveries and they study the universe. And then there are other astronomers that specialize in building the instruments and the new telescopes. And that's what Anna does. And this is really cool. She's always using new technology to make the best new observations, things that weren't possible maybe even just a year ago. Anna has designed cutting-edge instruments that are being used all over the world, in places like Hawaii, California, and Australia. And these all sound like pretty wonderful, warm places that you'd actually want to visit. But then there's Antarctica. According to Anna, being at the bottom of the world isn't quite what you think it would be. Most people think Antarctica is a a hurricane, sort of extremely cold, inhospitable place full of uh, penguins and walruses and stuff like that. And and while that's that's, uh, partly true on the coast, there's a, a very thick, high ice shelf that covers most of Antarctica. And by the time you you get inland, you're able to be up at an altitude of about 4,000 meters. In fact, the highest point on the Antarctic Plateau is 4,200 meters, which is called Dome A. So not only do you have a constant winter for about five months, uh, you also have a very high altitude and you have very cold atmosphere above you. And when you combine all those things, you get a very unique place to do astronomy from for a whole over a whole different set of wavelengths and that's why that's why we go there purely for science and it is in this remote place that anna has been working on a whole new kind of astronomy the dynamic infrared that sounds very uh, ominous but it's um it's an area of astronomy that is up until now very difficult to do and what we want to do is to look at the whole sky the whole hemisphere every two hours so basically very quickly, and then get a map of that sky in at infrared wavelengths and then be able to go back over and over and over again throughout the entire winter season. And we're looking for things that vary, things that change, things that come into existence and then disappear again at infrared wavelengths. When you think about infrared light, this is the same sort of thing as heat radiation. It's what our skin interprets as warmth. And what better place 
to study heat light than somewhere that's very cold, where you can make a measurement of any heat that actually gets to you from space. You sit in the Antarctic winter, where it's dark for months at a time, and things change. There are stars exploding. There are stars colliding together. And this creates heat, heat that you can actually sense many hundreds or thousands of light years away sitting in the Antarctic night. So Anna builds very specialized instruments that can look at the entire sky every two hours. And a part of the sky that was cold and dark just a few hours ago suddenly lights up. You may have discovered something really dramatic like colliding stars or even a supernova. These are the deaths of stars. These are violent explosions. So these are transient events that um, they're quite rare. And you need to be able to survey a, a large area of the sky um, uh, many times to be able just to detect these things in the first place. And so uh, you learn so much about new areas of astronomy, new physical processes, new events. If you're able to monitor the sky, not just do a one survey, but monitor it every few hours constantly, it opens up whole new areas. And uh, th this is the supernovae, the stellar mergers. This is the violent end of the science that we want to do. And I find that really exciting. Studying these violent and dramatic stellar explosions is fascinating, but there's a practical consideration. To do the sort of work Anna does, you actually need to physically get to Antarctica. And while Anna's been there a handful of times, you pretty much never forget your first trip to Antarctica. So I was issued a plane ticket. Uh, to go from Australia at the time to New Zealand. And, um, and then we, uh, we got all kitted up with our uh, winter gear and sat around waiting for a, um, a C-130, which is a Hercules, a, a military aircraft, to take us down to the coast. And when I stepped off the plane, it was really a, uh, it was an amazing experience. Even on the runway, the ice was uh, a very clear blue color. I'd never seen that before, which was really amazing. And there were also, um, there were walruses in the distance that I could see. This was really just stepping off the plane straight away. So that was really cool. So even after this long flight from New Zealand, Anna did not have much time to get acquainted with the locals. She was right off again. So two hours later, uh, we took a, a much smaller prop plane, a propeller plane, which uh, then took us on a four-hour journey from the coast of Antarctica inland to the Dome Sea base. And when we got off the plane there, you immediately felt the altitude. And I'm used to altitude. I am an astronomer, so I, I am used to it. But when you combine that with the cold and the dryness of the site, you actually get quite a strong headache for about three days. That doesn't really go away. And uh, so you, you, you kind of have to get used to that. But then after a few days, your body gets acclimatized and, and you feel okay. Anna was now in a place that very, very few humans have ever had the ability to go to the high Antarctic plateau. It's very still, incredibly still, incredibly quiet. No smells. It's uh, ice as far as you can see to the horizon. You fly in during the summer, so there's no night. The sun is up constantly. So it's the most bluest of blue skies. Zero cloud. And uh, actually feels quite warm, which I was surprised at. Because the thermometer is showing minus 30 or minus 40. 
But because the sun is up and the ice is very reflective, you actually feel quite warm as you as you walk around. I was quite surprised about that. The image of my friend Anna walking around on Dome Sea feeling warm seems absolutely crazy. I mean, let, let's calibrate a little bit. This is at an altitude of about 11,000 feet. And the temperatures are a little bit below 20 below zero Fahrenheit. So incredibly, Anna was comfortable. But when you think about it, this place is run by the Europeans. And Europeans know a thing or two about staying comfortable. Inside, they had the most amazing Illy coffee machine I have ever seen. And I was I was not even allowed to go near it because I was British and therefore deemed not, you know, not, not educated enough to be able to operate an Italian Illy coffee machine. And so I was made one of the best coffees I've ever had after landing which was quite amazing. So it turns out Antarctica was not as desolate a place as you might imagine. Here they are having wonderful coffee, and there's a, a Michelin-rated French chef there. But it's not really that that makes it a warm place. Antarctic astronomy and deployment there is is very different. You're very close, much closer than if you were putting an instrument on a telescope uh, at a temperate site like Palomar or something. And you know you're going through this adventure together. And sometimes for the first time for some people, and you get you know you get through the altitude sickness, and then you, um, when you're over that, you know you're unpacking an instrument, debugging it, and you know making sure it all works, and you're really made to feel a, a close member of that community when you're there. You're in the middle of nowhere, and everything just has to work, and you know your very lives kind of depend on it, and so it's a it's a truly bonding experience. Anna's instrument is able to detect changes in the infrared sky, but those changes can come from many different things. For example, sometimes it's just a single star that's changing. You can do um, amazing things with cool stars. And by cool stars, we mean stars where the surface temperature is lower than the sun. The sun's surface temperature is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, so we're talking maybe 4,000 degrees. Things uh, that are called brown dwarfs that are essentially failed stars. And we know they're there. We know there are many, many of these stars in the universe, in our galaxy. And it's just very hard to find them because they just don't emit much radiation. But they are very bright in the infrared. And we'll be able to do things like uh, monitor weather on such objects. We'll be able to maybe even detect transits around such stars with a, an instrument like this. And by transits, she means things that are orbiting around these brown dwarf stars, actually blocking out a little bit of the infrared light. A good analogy would be Jupiter with its systems of moons. As the moons move back and forth across Jupiter, they block a little bit out. In a real way, we're observing moons around big Jupiters in space. The work that Anna has been doing in Antarctica has actually yielded wonderful scientific results. We've discovered things about stars, uh, these giant planets called brown dwarfs. But now Anna thinks she might be hot on the trail of something really new, discovering violent explosions that may create some of the elements around us. One of the most exciting science cases for a new proposal that we have for Antarctica is to try and discover where all elements that are fancily called our process elements, but elements like gold and platinum that we kind of take for granted here are amazing elements in how they're formed. And it turns out that they formed, we think, in the center of stars. And some other much more violent, much more energetic event causes these elements to produce and to be formed. And one of the leading contenders is a neutron star-neutron star merger. 
For a long time, scientists have believed that all of the chemical elements heavier than iron come from a supernova explosion, a single star blowing itself up when it dies. But when you actually run the physics, it doesn't seem to work. You seem to need even more energy than a supernova. And we were sort of back to the drawing board. What could possibly have more energy than a supernova? Well, there's a dead core of a star called a neutron star. Neutron stars are some of the weirdest and most dramatic things in the universe. They're so dense that if you had a, a, a cubic centimeter about the size of a, of a key on a keyboard, if you had that volume of neutron star material, it would have as much mass as the entirety of Mount Everest compressed into that tiny little volume. Seriously, Mount Everest per key on your keyboard. You take two 10-mile-across balls of this stuff, those are two neutron stars, and you smash them together. And you get even more energy than a supernova. Anna thinks that using her instruments could actually prove that some of the elements around you right now, not even all that uncommon, uh, things that are in your jewelry, in your electronics, might have come from this sort of extremely violent explosion. It's possible that if we can discover these events going off with our instrument from Antarctica, and if we can discover that and then alert all the other larger telescopes in the, in the world to be able to follow these this signature up and be able to take a single spectrum of it, we will be able to see whether these uh, everyday elements, well, gold is everyday, I'm not sure about platinum, but gold and platinum, will be able to say how they are formed in the universe, where the minds of these elements are in the universe, which is currently unknown. I find that just an amazing reason to get up and come into work every single day. Anna's science really gets at the core of what I find most compelling about astronomy, that things around you that are actually not that uncommon. You know, do you have a gold ring on your finger right now? You know, are you using a smartphone that has some you know, heavy metals in the electronics? These things come from unimaginably dramatic sources. Two neutron stars colliding is an explosion so violent that you can detect the heat from it over millions of light years. Millions of light years, each light year being about six trillion miles. And you can make a detector, take it to Antarctica, and actually measure the heat from these things. And that's, to some extent, where all of the elements in your body come from. They come from very violent origins, either the Big Bang or a supernova. But Anna's on to a really fun new piece of the puzzle, that there are different things around you that come from something special, a special type of explosion that only happens when two unimaginably weird neutron stars collide and obliterate each other. So that's why we go to these remote places. We are filling in little bit by little bit the story of how the universe came to be, the story how you came to be, how the very atoms that are in you right now started. And that's worth going to some pretty out-of-the-way places for. Stars has been commanded by Lauren Ober. John Barth and Genevieve Sponsler co-piloted from the PRX mothership. Erica Kramer navigated the soundscape, and Jim Briggs orchestrated the theme music. Course correction by Andrea Mustaine. Special thanks to the studios of WAMU in Washington, D.C., Planet Earth. We are supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information at sloan.org. And I'm Dr. Michelle Thaller, a little bit of dead stardust, signing off for now.